0: Hi, I'm Carissa Schlott, and I am Charissa Schlott. Welcome to Between Between Us, a podcast that highlights our relationship as sisters, providing a safe space to share our stories. These conversations highlight unity and connection, the through lines that connect all of us as human beings. Before we dive in, we would like to highlight that the views expressed in each episode are a product of our own research and experiences.
1: Our opinions are not representative of any professional affiliations we may have.
0: We are so excited for this episode and for you to meet someone whose ideas are grounded in such courage and healing and connection. Her work, I think, is the medicine that we all need right now. Dr. Party Bathwall is an entrepreneur, chiropractor, acupuncture provider, yoga instructor, feminist, social activist, and wellness expert.
1: Her business, Back in Balance Wellness Center, located in the windy city of Lethbridge, Alberta, is celebrating its 10th anniversary in March of 2022. Please welcome Pardeep. We did have this discussion. Did
2: you (laughs) want us to say, doctor? All the time. No, you don't have to say doctor party. No. But I mean, it's interesting because a lot of people don't know that chiropractors are doctors. That's true. Actually, the only reason I used to start my practice and just be like, Hey, Party, how's it going? And to this day, I have patients that just call me that. And it was early on, because I mean it was 10 years ago. So I looked younger as well. And yeah, people were like, Wait, you're a doctor? I'm like, You've been coming for two years. Isn't that what doctors do? They help with your discomfort, your pain, you know, like if you're just thinking Western medicine. So then I was like, okay, I think we need to say doctor party.
0: Well, after all of the years of schooling and the important healing work that you're doing, you have earned that doctor at the beginning of your name. Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) Well, thank you. And that was one thing, too, is I never wanted to be a doctor for status. So it took me a while to actually be like, no, you did the work. This is worthy of having a title. And so, yeah, it took some time for me to actually get into accepting that Mm -hmm. because I wanted to be so approachable and not feel like, you know, you have that white coat syndrome when somebody walks in and feel like a level of superiority.
1: And because you are very aware and you are a woman of color, you're probably even more conscious of that.
2: And I think that also just speaks to your nature. Yeah. I'm not somebody who loves that status feel, like when people use their status to feel superior to others. Yeah. But it wasn't about that. I just realized people were coming and there, didn't know chiropractors were doctors. And I was like, oh, this is a problem. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, Came down to that. Yes, yes exactly.
0: <laughs> and I am, of course, very grateful for you choosing Lethbridge to call home to have your practice and to be healing people in Southern Alberta. but I know that wasn't where your journey began. So would you mind taking us through where you're from originally and your childhood?
2: Yeah, sure. So I was born in Oakville, Ontario. That's about 30 minutes outside of Toronto. My family, so my mom and my dad were born in India. My older sister was also born in India. So then when we they moved over here, my brother, then myself, and then I have a younger sister. So that's my family. We were born and raised in Oakville, Ontario. My cousins are all there. Yeah, and I i really, I mean, I love it. I do love Ontario. That's definitely Toronto's my favorite big city. And I love going back and visiting. You know, it was immigrant family. So education was very important. Hard work was instilled in us. Caring for others. We grew up in a religious upbringing. So the Sikh religion. One of the big things with that is giving back to community and taking care of your fellow person. So I think that's been something my parents have instilled in us from the beginning. All of us as siblings, we've ended up doing something that does help others in whatever our profession, our chosen profession was. But yeah, I was there till I was 27. So I did obviously elementary school, high school. Then I went to the University of Waterloo and I did my honors kinesiology. I did a co-op program. And so instead of four years, it was five years of undergrad. In that, again, being from a family where there was four kids, my dad was a lawyer, my mom's a teacher, but when they moved here, they worked in factories. And so we had four university educations to try to pay for. And so this co-op program that my older sister actually had found when she was first applying, you ended up doing a work placement for four months and you get paid for it. So instead of four straight years of school, it was five years of school, but every four months you had like four months of school and then four months of a work placement I ended up in that last few work terms working at a chiropractic office and they were fresh new grads and they practiced acupuncture as well. I was supposed to be their receptionist and all I was excited about was like seeing these patients coming out of rooms and I was like, what's going on in there? (laughs) I didn't grow up going to chiropractic or natural medicine. With the Indian culture, a lot of our stuff is natural medicine. So, you know, my mom, my dad would make our cha, our tea with lots of different herbs and spices, whatever was needed. So ginger, garlic, everything else, right? Yeah, so I think it naturally instilled in me the ability for the body to heal itself. So when I was in this chiropractic placement and all I cared about was like people coming in and going, oh, my gosh, my arm, I could barely move it. Look at me now. And they thought that was amazing. So when they worked on me, one thing I've had allergies my whole life growing up. And I also had exercise-induced asthma. And as soon as I started going for the treatments, those both went away. Like three visits and my lifelong allergies to environmental pollen, dust, mold, like gone. Wow. And chiropractic, I had a student posture, my I was always looking down. And so having my lung expansion, sitting better posturally, all of those things, you know, all of a sudden I was working out and I didn't need my puffer before. And so anyway, it was like little gradual changes, but in the end, quite monumental. Yes. So yeah, anyway, that's what got me into going, This is what I want to do with my life. And so then I did my acupuncture in the same Time frame as my undergrad, so I graduated both of those in 2001, and then I went to the Canadian Memorial Chiropractic College in Toronto. I graduated 2005, and then I went traveling. <laughs> and then I went traveling. <laughs> like that's enough school. That's enough doing what I was told to do, right? Yeah. And so then I went traveling. I went to Ireland. I went to Australia. And I was thinking about like, where could I move to? That was an English speaking country. So I didn't have to learn all my muscles in a whole different language, you know, (laughs) because I wanted to still be a chiropractor. Mm -hmm. Both of those places. I love Ireland. Like it is my favorite place, but it's way too rainy for my liking. Uh. Yeah, Australia, I love, but you know, I love my family and I want to be able to be there within a day if I need to be there. So I ended up doing, uh, coming back. Still, I did that for about a year and then was like, no, I think I want to be in Canada because we do have such great healthcare and we have quite a lot of privilege here in Canada, but I hadn't explored my own country here that I was born in. So I ended up traveling across the country and I was going to move to Alberta and I don't know why. (laughs) You remember those book sales and post Sales like elementary, yes. There was a poster, and I saw it, and it had mountains and the stream, this beautiful nature. And I was like, I need to live there, that's where I need to live. Whoa, yeah. And I still, like, a couple years back when I was moving from one house to another, I found that poster. You have it in your house, yeah. I haven't put it up yet. It's like wrinkled, and you know, it's been on a million walls in my university days. But uh, yeah, I came across it. And I was like, I remember in grade 10 being like, I think I need to move to Alberta. No reason. I have no family here. There's no reason to be here. And I'm a very progressive minded hippie at heart. And so everybody was like, you should probably move to BC. Exactly. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I will. So I packed up my car, drove across the country, thought I'd be back in Ontario in like two years, maybe. Ended up doing locums, which is covering chiropractic practices through BC for about six months. And I had come through Lethbridge when I was first driving across the country. I have a friend in Calgary, and then I'm coming down to Lethbridge for a bit. And I loved it. I remember sitting at Penny Coffee House and in that front window and being like, I think I like this place. Mm. And then I left for six months, did my BC time. I was in Nelson. I was up in Prince Rupert, Prince George, on the island. And something about Lethbridge pulled me back. So I signed a two-year contract, thought I'd be here for two years, and then I'd go off somewhere else. And now it's like 13 years later, (laughs) I've opened a business. (laughs) So I started the business back in Balance Wellness Center in 2012. And so I moved here in 2009. So I was only three years in. I was like, well, if I'm going to stay here, I may as well do the thing that I thought I would want to do. And then right away, I wanted to expand and add so many things, but I was being responsible. And then in 2012, 20 turned out was when I ended up moving, which was pre-planned. I would not have done it if I knew what was coming financially. That's been a strain. However, up until then, great business plan in mind. But in this, my hope is to actually purchase the building that I'm in and expand it to a point where I would stay. So I had to really think about, do I want to stay in Lethbridge? Yeah. Yeah. And Lethbridge...
0: I don't know what it is about the city of Lethbridge, but it does, it gets its claws in people. Same Mm -hmm. for me. So I I moved to Lethbridge in 2003 to attend the University of Lethbridge and thought, okay, I'll do like one or two years of university and then I'll transfer to U of C or U of A. Met my now husband, Steve, started a family, got a career from a family lifestyle Mm -hmm. point of view. That like sense of community, everything that you were describing about your upbringing, I was smiling to myself thinking like, I mean, I always have loved you as a friend and I'm like, I'm falling in love with you even more. (laughs) Uh, Because it's so interesting to me how coming from opposite sides of the country, from very different, I guess, families and backgrounds, how our values, what we were taught, what's important, and how we've chosen to build our lives is actually very similar.
2: Mm -hmm. Yes, I wouldn't call myself religious, which, sorry, Dad, if you're listening. (laughs) Like, I wouldn't say organized religion. I think growing up, especially in an Indian religion, so the Sikh religion, it is the most peaceful. Like, yes. Now when I read up on it, I actually love the concept behind that. However, the organized portion of that and the intertwining of cultural expectations, not just the message of a religion. Yes. I find that very difficult, right? So as a woman, you know, we were kids and our, my dad and uncles would be having beers, but my mom and aunts weren't. There was just these, you know, men do this, but women do that. And I'm like, that's not in the religion, right? That's not, Mm. it's everybody should not do this or everybody should be equal. And I found a lot of it, Very important for the foundations. And that's where Chris, I think what you're saying is that we have these religious upbringings that I don't know actually if you were religious, but any religion, it's be good to your fellow humans, be good to any, any living being, whether it plant like the environment, the animals, humans be kind to each other and the rest of it to me, I, I would say I'm more spiritual now than I am religious. Okay, let's let's
0: stop there because I think this is actually a very interesting topic. Okay. Especially because, so we were raised, I would say, mostly in a Christian household. We were all baptized Lutheran, Anglican. However, of the three of us, we all would probably identify very differently spiritually. Mm -hmm. So as an example, I would say I'm still Christian, but much like you in a broader sense, like I don't go to church and I don't follow any sort of organizational rules about religion, but I do have a belief in a higher power, I guess in that sort of source. And I don't know if I would even use the word God, because that also feels too confined, but there is something much bigger than all of us, I guess. It's sort of a belief in something Mm -hmm. bigger. And then Sharice?
1: I would actually identify probably as what I practice or follow is called Tao. We don't say Taoist or Taoism because that has different dogma to it. Hmm. So I practice Tao (laughs) is what I say. And it's very similar to Buddhism though. Very, very similar. Just not really following a lot of the, the mantras and... Same teaching, so. Yep. so that's what I would align with. Yeah. And then our brother is atheist. Yes.
0: Yeah. And so and our mother is Christian. She still attends church every Sunday. And our father is, I would say more spiritual, but yes. believes more in the sort of like the circle of life and almost like an indigenous belief system. Yeah. In nature. With how we yeah, our interconnectedness with nature. Yeah. And I think that was such a gift in all honesty that our, yes. our parents exposed us to different kinds of religions I guess or belief systems and then gave us the freedom Yeah, we had choice our individual That's religion. the
1: difference. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: I'm curious how that was for you Pardeep. Did you have an element of choice in in your participation or was it a pretty firm expectation?
2: So when we first moved to Oakville there I mean my parents moved here and that's when a lot of people were immigrating. And so there was a small, sick community. They felt more comfortable. They were helping each other out as they were coming in as immigrants with amazing educations. And yet, you know, you have to work in these manual labor jobs which they just were not trained in, right? That wasn't their expectation. But it is difficult to actually be able to use your education here. And it's still Mm -hmm. a thing. And it's still a thing. Yeah, so it was that much harder for everybody back then. And I mean, you already have kids. Like my parents would have two kids when they were first here. And, you know, and then, then I came three years later and you end up with four kids. Like you want to make sure you have a roof over your head and food on the table. So we didn't have a gurdwara, which is what the temple or the, you know, you guys would say your church, right? There was no actual, structure at the time that there is a community center that they would rent out. So once a month. And I mean, as kids, you're running around the building and you're not really doing what you're supposed to be doing. And we were often told to like sit down and be quiet and listen. (laughs) And, you know, hopefully some (laughs) of this will like instill in you. When I go back home now, I do miss like when someone's getting married, I actually enjoy that, but it's that feeling of familiarity. Yeah. And that sense of community. Yeah. I think it's like we swung the opposite direction because it felt Like there was a lot of expectation of us. And so here we are, first generation. You have all these white friends. They're all going out and doing all these things, and you're seeing just a different. We had a different upbringing, and my parents had. So I think slowly, eventually, they built a gurdwara, and so then it was available to be there all the time. And some people, I think, we went a little bit more originally. My parents would have wished that we had gone more regularly, and to this day. But also, my parents ended up just doing stuff at home. Like it became less about being in the building and more about living the way that the teachings had shown them to be. Mm. You know, my mom passed in 2019 and my dad to this day, like both of them continued on to tell us, remember, it's this state today and it's the Guru-, Guru Nanak's birthday or it's, you know, and we're like, "Ooh, bad, bad child. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know when it is, but it's not as well as I know when Christmas is, you know, like it's just we weren't raised around it as much. I'll just speak for myself that I am less so, but I believe 100% in the teachings that are at the core of the religion. What?
0: Lesson did your parents teach you that still
2: stays with you oh gosh so many I mean if you put your mind to something you can achieve it yeah like I think oh you're making cry um the hard work that was definitely something that sorry think about my mom as well as and my dad taught all of this to us as well just in different ways but yeah, I think hard work, being good to each other, having a dream. The only way you can get out of any sort of system and, and be able to achieve your dreams is to be given that. Not always. I do agree that it doesn't have to be a formal education. However, that's what we were taught. So when you have a degree or an education, then you can get a job that will then give you the salary or the income to be able to then provide and do whatever you'd like with life. And in that, there is this thing about giving like 10% to keep it aside that they would give to the good one, right? So now I think what all of us do is give, you know, whether we donate to a charity or an organization that we want to provide to, it was the hard work. If you work hard and if you're dedicated, you can achieve whatever you would like. Now, I think I went extreme. (laughs) They were like, whoa, like we don't have entrepreneurs in my family. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes. So a salary job security was big. So I being an entrepreneur, like that security is not always there. Like, why
0: are you taking on all of these risks unnecessarily?
2: (laughs) Yeah, risk management, like, whoa, my dad is risk averse. My mom was a little bit more like, you know, go for it, buy properties and do the things. But yeah, like it's just everybody's a bit different, right? Some people have more comfort in risk. And some people are a little bit more steadfast and secure in one step after the other, but don't jump, don't jump off the cliff like I've done, right? And just swim, like you'll figure it out. But I think the installation of that hard work, dedication, you can achieve your dreams, whatever you do, you can do it. Don't quit. So now that I'm in, they're like, don't quit. You can do this. Anyway, it's been a a journey. I would say I've learned lots. From my parents, in ways that were good and not so good, as a child, I didn't necessarily feel like I had the same security that a lot of my friends did with their being able to communicate all your feelings, right? It was more about like outcomes and what things look like on paper. But that's not to say I didn't feel... All the love. Now, as an adult, I can say that I was completely loved. It's different in how our upbringings were because they just wanted to keep us safe, make sure we did our work. I didn't go out and hang out with friends. I didn't get to go do all these things, but they wanted to keep me safe. And that's how they knew how to do that. Strict upbringing.
1: As Chris has said, the common thread between your upbringing and ours, almost identical values instilled in us, except for me, I didn't get the dreaming big thing. I think I extrapolated. I
0: think, that, I think Kristen too. I did. Yeah, I did too. I also saw education as my way out, which is probably why I was drawn more to like the U of C or the U of A and my parents very wisely said to me, okay, you're coming from a community of 200 people. Maybe you should start at the U of L where there's going to be like less than hundred people in a class. And I would have been, I was very overwhelmed for the first couple of months living in a, a city. So I can only yeah. imagine what would have happened had I moved to a, yeah. a bigger center. It would have been can, a culture shock, I think. I can but-
1: vouch for the difficulties of that. <laughs> I lived <laughs> enough of that for the two of us.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah, that would be extreme. And again, like I live right outside Toronto, like my small town was a big town for Alberta, right? <laughs> like It was not small town in comparison, but for me, it felt small. So yeah, I can imagine going from 200. Like, Lethbridge is as small as I can think I can go. At this point in my life, I can't imagine living in a town smaller than Lethbridge. Pardeep, I was just wondering, of the birth
1: order of your siblings, where do you fit?
2: I'm the third out of four.
1: Interesting, because you have the personality almost of an oldest child, I would say. Oh, why? How so? Just the go for what you want, forging
2: your own path, the yeah. confidence. Mm-hmm. Piece. I mean, I'm still a complete middle child where I'm like, everybody look at me. Don't forget about me. Okay, yeah. You got <laughs> same as me there. <laughs> I 100% need validation. <laughs> like, you did a good job. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely have middle child stuff. But yeah, I agree. Thank you for that.
1: Just as a side note, Pardeep, I was laughing at myself because I said this to Chris's boys. Bodhi got some new Pokemon cards. I said, you know what, Bodhi? You're really lucky to get new stuff. <laughs> because I said, 'Sure, has got all of Chris's <laughs> hand down So, <laughs>
2: Uh-huh. A hundred percent. Yeah, no, I live that same life. And it's funny now, I like completely love hand-me-downs, but I call them hand-me-ups because my younger sister has, Cam has like this great fashion sense. So anytime she's getting rid of stuff, I'm like, ooh, can I look in your closet? So I think I've just gotten used to getting everybody else's seconds. I love it. I but, love it. Hand-me-ups.
0: That's what they should be called. It's yes. not, it even sounds better than hand-me-downs. Yeah, it
2: does. yeah, as an adult, it's much better.
1: You know, it's funny because after the meet-and-greet, Chris and I were talking about this, which You just brought in intuitively, but we were wondering how your culture, your religion tied into you and your practice, because it's all integrated as such. So it's cool because you spoke to that a bit, but if you want to elaborate more, please do.
2: Yeah, I feel like the natural medicine portion of things, right? So healing your body, using natural products and natural remedies through diet, those things I think are my top choice as opposed to medication if that medication is not needed, right? Like I'm a I'm a big fan of Western medicine for emergencies, for quality of life, especially when it comes to mental health, if other things are not working. So there is a need, absolutely, cardiac health. Like my family has a history of heart disease and so... Without these cardiologists, I wouldn't have my father. But I do think that if we could have the option in our healthcare system to choose free medicine in whatever direction, I would be interested to see how many people would switch from going to their Western medicine doctor and come to chiropractic, naturopaths, acupuncture, like whatever it might be. So from my culture, I think that was just it. My mom made food for us from lentils and like it was a very vegetarian-based diet. And so in my current life as a chiropractor, reminding people of that, that their body has the ability to heal itself, I think would be the biggest connection to that. I have taken my yoga teacher training and it's interesting now to Solving right now with colonization and the yoga practices, and how people say namaste, but they don't really know what it means. And, you know, it's more just used in the Western world as well. So that's a whole other conversation. But being able to put your culture back into your practice, I think, has been something that I've really enjoyed doing. And then also something that I look forward to doing more because in the current location that I've moved to, the intention is to have some yoga and meditation. And I, I it would be really cool to like bring it back to its roots.
1: I agree. And you know what, because we're on this topic too, like the cultural appropriation, it's just so rampant and and you're right. I think it's kind of gone a little bit under the radar in the spiritual community.
2: Yes. A hundred percent it has.
0: And what I love is that you've integrated all of these things for the wellness or well-being of people. And that more proactive healthcare, which is a lesson that I also had to learn in my 20s. I think when I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, I sort of blindly followed my doctor's recommendations for Western medicine. And those, for some, are necessary interventions. And for me, they impacted my mental health more than they benefited my physical health. (laughs) And so I ended up getting sicker. Right. And then through, I think just experimentation, ended up circumventing back towards more Eastern philosophies, finding a naturopath that helped with the inflammation and nutrition and stress management and all sorts of things. So in my own life, I have been very fortunate to have found the Eastern, more Eastern philosophies and to found people like you who help keep my body and mind Mm -hmm. healthy without requiring, at this phase of my life anyways, knock on wood, without requiring any ongoing medication or Mm -hmm. Western medicine intervention. And
1: to have the financial ability to
0: do that. Because
1: like you said, to me, that is my largest barrier in accessing services as well. It is that exactly.
0: That's a good point. Western medicine covers medications once you are once you are ill, but doesn't provide those same benefits to stay well.
2: Yeah. And that's where it is really hard because I want to help everybody, but I know that there's only certain people can even come to see me
1: mm-hmm.
2: because benefits or having that extra income to be able to put towards it is a barrier. Again, with COVID, we've kind of paused on some things that I plan to do, but every bit of me wants to have a community, like a few hours where it's just community Centered, and it's pay what you can. Think about my parents. You work overtime, you work in these manual jobs. And like, you are the one who needs this, right? Like my mom went through some injuries from work, repetitive strain, and my dad did as well. Western medicine absolutely helped in that moment. But if they could have accessed things like acupuncture or chiropractic or whatever else, right? Massage, Reiki, like energy work, anything, it would have helped so much. So when I think about people now that work two, three jobs and their bodies are aching, but they have to get up because they have to put food on their table for their family. I want to help these people. So I'm trying to figure out kind of how exactly we would run that, but we will, you know, and then the rest of the time I have to pay bills.
1: Yeah. I know, that's, <laughs> that's my problem.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. But there are some places that care more about how much can we charge, how much can we bill, how many people can we see, how quickly can we see them, but is the quality of care there? And that's in anything, in any type of profession where somebody pays for service.
0: What I was thinking about when you were talking about your wellness center is, I've been lucky enough to be physically in your wellness center so I can speak to this, but how amazing I feel even just being in your building and in your presence. There's something about your space that you have created. Like even if you just open the doors for people to come and meditate and pay what they can or whatever, because there's something about your space that is safe and healing and rejuvenating. Thanks. And I would love for you to share if you're open to it that in your designing of the space, what some of the things were that you considered?
2: My little secrets?
0: Yeah. What were your secrets to make it feel so amazing
1: inside? Hey, just before she shares everyone, this is the new trademark. Yeah.
2: You know what? I guess everybody should be doing these things anyway. You know, you heard it here first and that's not actually even true because I will tell you the background of this. So I would say first off, the reason that I hope People feel the way that you feel when you come in is first off the people. So that's not a secret, but it is something that not every business chooses that I've hired my team. This is so important. Everybody, I will say right now, everybody that works in that space, I love so dearly because they are giving and caring and kind. And this is the front reading staff. We've got extra staff right now with COVID protocols. So with cleaning and wipe downs and all that. I call them our wellness coordinators. So the admin assistants, right? And then our therapists, like everybody who's in there, I feel I would hope is like an extension of myself. So who I would get along with, who I would want to spend my time with, and they have great energy. So that I hope is number one. But I know what you're talking about. (laughs) And my other secret is that once upon a time, I had gone to for a shamanic yoga retreat, I walked into the building that we did all of our practice in. And I walked in the room and I started crying, I was vibrating. And I'm not somebody who generally like I can feel people's vibes and I can feel someone's got good energy or not. But I'm not somebody who I would say I can see people's auras. I don't take people's energy on. And I was like, this is really weird, (laughs) right? And then I walked out and asked the guy, like once I got to know the people that were there, the shaman as well as the organizers of this retreat. And I was like, what is happening in that building? And I told him what I experienced. He was like, oh, you felt it. They had lined the floor with crystals. So they had charged crystals. They had blessed these crystals. That was in, gosh, 20, maybe 16. And I was like, oh my gosh, one day when I build a place, I'm going to put crystals in the floorboards. And I actually completely forgot about this. My building is a pre-existing building that we refurbished and renovated. And so as they were putting in the drywall for the room, so I got to design it all. It was wonderful. And it was halfway through that process. All of a sudden, as walls were going up, thank goodness goodness. I remembered this. And I was like, (gasps) and I called the contractor, the site supervisor and was like, I need to coordinate with the drywallers because I have to put crystals in the walls. And they were like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) What are you talking about? And I was like, just trust me. It's something I got to do, right? So I went and got beautiful crystals of all different healing properties. And, you know, I put protection ones in the front doors. I know security systems are great too, but like this crystal hopefully will help as well. (laughs) maybe not having break-ins, maybe not having people bring in their negative energy and come in and just blow up on people. And so those are like just at the entry points, but then in each room, knowing what the intention was of each. So the yoga space, meditation space, the healing rooms. Yeah. I put different crystals in every wall. So that is what you probably feel. And I remember at the time, even the drywall guys being like, wait, what is this? And I was like showing them my crystals. (laughs) putting them in. So I had to be very confident in myself to be able to go in here and people roll their eyes and people can think what they want. And I believe in crystals, but I am not somebody who's an expert at them. I just know what I know, which is that they help. I know how I felt when I stepped into that space in Peru. And that's what I imagine you're talking about. So yeah, I have crystals in my walls at the wellness center. So when you're in there, even if you're just sitting there, even if you're there to pick somebody up and you're still getting hopefully some sort of healing or go by the space, my hope is to like extend it into everybody who's in that area. Yeah.
1: And if you don't mind, for those that may be science-minded, I can give a little blurb on how the crystals might affect how sure, people feel. Absolutely. So as humans, we have our own vibration, our own frequency. We're walking around with, depending on what emotions we're feeling, what kind of mood we're in, we're all operating at a frequency of some sort, right? And so each crystal has its own unique frequency. Yeah. And so the idea is that if we're in the a close enough space with that crystal is that our frequency regulates to the level of the crystal. So we kind of unite into one. Hmm.
2: Yes. Cool. Yeah, thank you for saying that, because that's the other thing with wellness centers. I have a Bachelor of Science. I have all of the schooling, so pathology, immunology, physiology, biochemistry, all these courses. But then I've also looked into acupuncture, which is based on traditional Chinese medicine. So you take both of those and combine them. And I think being open-minded, which is what I really feel like everybody that comes in, like even if they come in and they sign on their intake form, their main complaint is low back pain. The number of people who are open to hearing because my intake form asks a bunch of questions. So one is just what brought you in today, but then the inside of that form is all about your health history from childhood onwards. And I'm looking for little threads that tie things together. It's kind of my my plan is get people in there who might not be open to it, who are just I have pain, get rid of my pain. But if we can open people's minds up to the ability of healing in all different ways, then I just think that's going to be better for the world.
0: Oh, yes, that's it. And that's exactly how I feel as a patient. There's this openness. And because there's an openness, there's also trust. Like you're the first person who I allowed to do acupuncture on me now that I've done it. I'm not sure why I was so scared to do it, but now I've also witnessed the benefits and how healing it can be. Right. And
1: this is what I think about when you say the openness of people coming, people that decide they're walking through the door. That is actually the biggest hurdle. Like I know this in my own private practice as well, just committing or just stepping into that because that takes so much courage and vulnerability to say, I need help. And to me, that's the biggest step is just getting there. (laughs) And that to me shows there's a level of openness in that because they're kind of saying, okay, I surrender to some of your expertise, or I need help with something.
2: A hundred percent. I say that all the time. I'm like, I have a captive audience. Like if you've stepped in here, you're open. And if I can make you trust me because I speak in whatever language you need me to speak in, whether you need it to be science-based, whether you need it to be energy-based, whether you need, don't even talk to me about it. Just fix me. Yes, exactly. I feel like I know people pretty well, so I can navigate and kind of become a chameleon to what that person will resonate best with. And then that's when I'm like, okay, but now you're in. And so now let's talk about these other things. Yeah, a lot of times when I go through that, I say, you know, a lot of this is just about basic health history and it's going to plant the seed. I just want you to know that you've checked off a lot of, let's say, digestive issues here. So acupuncture is actually really good for that. So if we talk about anxiety, depression, fatigue, acupuncture is great for that. And as soon as somebody hears that, they're like, oh, my gosh, this is actually what's going on. And they talk about so many other things. People right away will start talking about childhood trauma if I use the right terminology for them, whether it's through anything I do or I can direct them to any of the other therapists that are in the space. That would be a better fit for them. It's so exciting. But that's
0: also because of who you are, I think. Mm -hmm. You are a brilliant person, but you're also very intuitive. So what you just described doing, most people don't know how to do, like how to read the person and then deliver it in a certain way that you think they'll be able to hear it. Like that's hard to teach. Uh Yeah, that's a gift.
1: And also, I think I heard Renee talking about this on a podcast, but we are limited by our language. So a lot of the people coming into your space might not have the language to speak what they are feeling what they're experiencing. And because of that, even their healing experience has been limited. So it's almost like you're giving them a new language, a new way
0: to express themselves. And I think you're helping them connect their mind and their body. Yes. And maybe
2: even their soul. That is literally my home. Our tagline was transform your mind, body, and spirit naturally. Woo! Yeah. That's what you're doing. Yeah, That was like from day one, 10 years ago. Wow. But yeah, that was the tagline from day one. Well, there, that's what you're doing. And that's why before in that old space, I just didn't have the space to do all the things. Got the mind, I've got the body, but where's the rest? Where's the spirit? Meditation, the the yoga, the workshops that I hope to bring in. Like just so many things that I just want to open people's minds to that. And I don't think that's necessarily available here in Southern Alberta. I agree.
1: This also brings me to the part that I think as humans, we walk around believing that we are mind-based creatures, thinking that our mind is leading. And what actually is happening is our body is leading. We're a bottom-up processors, not top-down. Right. And I think this is a major misconception of humans. I'm sure you can speak to this, just how much their bodies are saying, are experiencing, what they're holding...
2: Yeah. You know, people get a little bit nervous when their body reacts in a way and they don't understand why. And there are times that I know I have to just be like, okay, your low back is bothersome, but we do enough chiropractic on that. I send you for a massage. We do everything mechanical to the structure. But I know maybe a few visits earlier that there's something else. I just also know that they're not going to hear it yet. You know, in those first visits, I'll be like, so what else is happening in life? I have to do that little bit of counseling to like pull post- some information out. And oftentimes your sacrum is your support. It's your foundation. So if you think of your spine, like everything sits on your sacrum. So I liken it to the foundation of a house or the foundation of your life. So if oftentimes people have this low back pain, but really they're going through something like lack of stability. Their relationship has ended. They've gone through some grief process where there's a feeling of, I don't feel safe anymore. And then their low back pain just will not go away. And sometimes it's as simple as you need to break up with that person. You're in a relationship. relationship. Relationship that is not good for you and for your energy and for your system, and your body is telling you.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. I have to make sure A, they're open to it. B, I've done my due diligence and made sure their back is okay. (laughs) They did come in for something. So I want to make sure that we hit all of that. But if structure them, like it should be better by now. Yeah. They're open. Then we have conversations and people many times, you should be a counselor. And I was like, I can't say half the stuff I say if (laughs) I were a counselor. I just tell you what I think you should do. Now I'm better at being like, I mean, if that feels right to you.
0: No, but it's because you see things. You are a seer and a healer and you're a truth teller. Mm. Even when you're saying something that is maybe hard to hear, it is always said with love. So even when you're saying something that's direct to me, who tends to only see the good in people (laughs) and the... shiny freaking light side of things. And you're like, dude, have you missed the mark? That person is also showing you all the shade. Yeah. I'm like, Why are you ignoring the shade? <laughs> right. <laughs> I think that's a part of your gift. So I'm curious, how did you learn to trust that? Trust yourself and trust that when you see something in someone, you believe them the
2: first time. Oh, I would not say I did that throughout my whole life. <laughs> I can guarantee you I did not. But I think that kind of, time and experience and being more open to your own healing journey, to be honest, like I didn't grow up going to counseling or talking about my feelings, like be strong, like do not cry, do not show your emotion. I mean, I think it benefited me in a sense, like it was completely unhealthy. If we were like crying, then we had guests coming over, their parents were like, oh, stop it, we've got to be on our best behavior. And you're like, okay, that was something that felt very fear-based and it was, but I'm having feelings, but like, shh, stop it. No time for feelings now. <laughs> yeah. Look, look like everything is perfect. Every time I think of
1: that, I think of in Game of Thrones when the incest queen, the part I always think about, (laughs) the part I always think about is when she's walking and everybody's throwing shit at her, like food, and they're all shame, shame, (laughs) shame. I always think of that with same with our family, like when you're not supposed to feel it's just like walk of shame. shame, shame, shame. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> so anyway, sorry for the little aside
2: there. No, 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 this is great. These are the conversations I love. When we were taught to like suck it up, you've got work to do, right? People are coming over, be a certain way. I do think that's actually beneficial too. When I've had staff not right now, but in the past that are like, I can't come to work because all this horrible stuff is happening. I'm like, I still need a receptionist. I need somebody to answer the phones and do the thing. And I know you went through a breakup and I'm okay giving you a few days. And I will, I'll even give people days knowing what their life is like. But then there's time. It's like you still have to do your job and you can't be cranky at people. You can't be rude. You can't be crotchety at me. You have to just do the job. You know, if something happens to me, it's like, okay, take one day and then suck it up and off you go. People need you. You have work to do.
1: And to insert my therapist opinion here. Yeah. This is a much needed skill. It is because we can't always feel and react in the moment. Okay, good. Especially if it's not a safe time or an appropriate time. This is a part of being an adult, which is shitty, but I think you have to revisit that later at some point.
2: 100%.
1: In a safe environment away from everyone else, you have to go back to that moment and feel
2: it through. I agree. Yeah, I'm never a a fan of not feeling your feelings. You have to feel your feelings. Yes. There's a time and a place.
0: And I think, is that like a muscle? Because I can do it too, actually, now that you're saying that. Like, I can turn it off for a bit if I need to just be strong for the day. I think it's
2: that bad perfectionist thing we were all taught. Yeah. Oh, maybe. Put on your shiny, happy face because people are looking. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah.
1: People are looking at you right now. You you better smile. And again, that so relates to the upbringing. Cool. Like me having a meltdown and hearing you're blowing this out of proportion. Switch it off, and I can't Suck hear. Suck it this.
0: up. I can't deal with your emotions right yeah. now. So turn them off.
1: So that I'm like, okay, I'll go cry and self harm in my room then. <laughs>
2: Right. There's a a spot on that pendulum where hopefully in future everybody stays. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. But yes, how have I known? Yes. Yes. Over time, right? You start to really trust how you feel. When I'm around this person, what is my body telling me? Yes. Listen to their words and watch their actions. You have to connect the two. Yes this is key. This is key. Yes. This is so important. You can say all the greatest things, but if you still can t- turn around and you do something completely opposite, where's the integrity in that? Yes. How do I feel yes. safe? I don't feel safe anymore because you told me something and I trusted you, which in any relationship, trust is high on that list of importance. But if I can't trust you, then like, this doesn't feel good to me. And either I can bury it and stay here Or I can go, I got to take care of me. So when my body is around someone, it's telling me like, turn around. That person's got dark energy. That person is being really nice and shiny. I think just over time, I've been able to see it so much clearer and quicker. And that did not, like I said, it didn't exist all the time. I wanted to be cared about and loved and all those things too. But the amount of pain that we cause ourselves, ugh, why do we do this? Why are you not the most important person in your life? Ugh, so good.
1: So folks, that's a wrap for part one. The Compelling Part Two will be released after March 21st. Thanks for
2: listening. Hi, my name is Bodhi. I hope you stay safe. Hi, my name is Gabe. I hope you have a great day.
0: Audio production by Joel Vargasy at Lewis Studios.